Welcome to Dad Factors. And today on the show, we have Joe Malloy, right? Mm-hmm. Malloy? Yep. Uh, father of two. Used to work in the forestry industry. Yeah, his uh, dad and uncles owned Idaho Veneer. Mm-hmm. So they made a lot of veneer products for like the global market. They made it for all over. No, surprisingly, a lot about the timber market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. thoroughly impressed. Yep. And uh, what else do you do? He likes skiing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Outdoorsy, you know, um, he currently works as a purchasing manager and he is a, uh, city councilman for our city that we live in Post Falls, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, it was good to hear, you know, I, (laughs) he knows a lot more about, uh, like forestry than I do. He knows a lot more, um, about government than I do, of course. Uh, but it's good to hear, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, I've always been fascinated on uh, running for office. Like I've tried once, failed. Um, Same. That's actually where I met Joe. Was uh, I asked him out to uh, go get drinks? Um, mm. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Um, good guy to know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he seemed like a super awesome <laughs> dude. Yeah, and it's pretty cool because I think that. Um, well, I think all three of us are like on the same page as far as like. You know, um, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, do what you want to do. Right. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it was a good conversation. Um, but before we get to the conversation, got the quote of the week. Um, so it was sent in by uh, Daniel, and the quote is by Denzel Washington, and he says, <clears throat> um, you'll never see a U-Haul behind your hearse. Well, that's darn right, because yeah. you're not moving that stuff with you. Yeah, can't take it with you. Yeah, that's great. That's a good one. Awesome. Well, let's start the show. If you live in the Coeur d'Alene slash Spokane area and you need your windows cleaned, give Brandon's Window Cleaning a call. They offer window cleaning service, pressure washing, rain gutter cleaning, and roof moss removal. Brandon's Window Cleaning does a great job, and they can be found at brandonswindows.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-W-I-N-D-O-W-S dot com. And while you're getting your windows cleaned, you, you have should yourself sit down. a beer. Yeah, relax with a nice cold one from Wallace Brewing Company. Wallace Brewing Company has the finest craft beers that I've ever tasted. I drink it, I give it to my guests on the show, and they love it. They have the Vindicator IPA the 660 India-style pale lager, the select lager, the 1910 black lager, and my personal favorite, the red light. They got this brewmaster jack up there. Dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, puts his stuff together, and it tastes fantastic. Next time you're at the grocery store, pick yourself up a six-pack. You will not be disappointed. And as always, Wallace Brewing Company reminds you to drink responsibly. So, Joe, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you came to live where you live today? So I've, I've been a North Idaho resident my entire life. I'm one of the few, the proud, the North Idaho natives. <laughs> the OGs. I the thought OGs. you were going to say the ugly, but <laughs> yeah. sure. That too. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was, I guess, technically born in Spokane at Deaconess Medical Center. And then at the ripe old age of one day, I uh, moved up to Sandpoint with my parents and my older brother. I uh, lived in Sandpoint till I was, I think, seven, uh, then moved on down to Coeur d'Alene. My mom wanted to go back to school at Gonzaga. Uh, my dad at the time owned a sawmill in Samuels, Idaho, just north of Sandpoint. So Coeur d'Alene was 
kind of in between. So she would commute back and forth to school in Spokane. You commute back and forth to work, uh, 60 miles North, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. They got divorced, uh, went to Coeur d'Alene high school, graduated from Lake city. The first year it opened, uh, went to school at Washington state, go Cougs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the hat and the jacket and everything else. Right. And, uh, you know, really had visions all time growing up of, of getting out of North Idaho and living in a city and finding mm-hmm. my opportunities. And, and, uh, I had family down in, uh, the Bay area, San Francisco Bay area. That's where my mom's family's all from. So I got to spend quite a bit of time in, in the San Francisco, San Jose area down there. And, uh, almost took a job in Bellevue, Washington, hawking insurance actually after college. And so I started spending time over there with friends. You know, a lot of friends from school lived on that side of the state. And then I started getting gnarled up in the traffic and, yeah. and just the crowds and everything else. And, and got a phone call out of the blue from my uncle John, who I didn't talk to all that much. And, and I had studied uh, international business and minored in Chinese language in college. And at that time, uh, the, the furniture business was all moving out of the Carolinas and going over to China, which was Idaho Veneer's biggest uh, market segment, I guess, at the time. So he said, if you, you want to come work for us, then you can just take over all the international accounts. And I've always really wanted to travel more and everything else. And and so I thought, OK, I can go back home. And it's funny, after you live on the Palouse for a while, and I love the Palouse, don't get me wrong, but there's no mountains, streams, lakes, all that sort of stuff. And you spend some time in the Seattle area, spend time in San Francisco and, and was pretty fortunate to travel quite a bit as a kid. Then you, you get to be, have adult eyes and look back. It's like, why the hell did I want out of here so bad? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So I moved back home and, uh, and still with kind of a, a, an idea that I might find another opportunity someplace in the city. And the older I got, the more I just wanted to be in a smaller town. So, but I always told myself, if I ever find a better place to live, I'm moving mm. and I'm still here. So, right. Uh, and I've traveled a lot. I was in sales at Idaho Veneer. So, you know, spent a whole lot of time on the road and in the air, uh, you know, nine different foreign countries, 38 states, something like that was, was gone a lot and saw some really cool places, but never a place that I would rather live than here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, bought a house in 2004, planted roots and figured this is where I'm staying. So, so here I am. Awesome. <laughs> that was probably a way longer answer than you wanted. No, no, that was shorter than what I wanted. Oh. Actually. I wanted well, I could, keep, I could keep on going. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> yeah. So Idaho veneer just recently went out, right? Well, they sold. So the, oh, okay. yeah. So my, my dad and my two uncles have owned it outright since the nineties. I think I lose track of time and they're all in their late sixties now. So, oh, okay. um, they've been wanting to retire for a while. Matter of fact, they wanted to retire quite a bit ago. Uh, but that whole industry lives and dies on the housing market and the, mm. the last recession, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, just really crushed that whole business. And so uh, I was working there at the time when the recession hit and we went from, you know, 150 ish employees at two different locations to 27 employees at one, uh, within the span of a year. That's how much the market shrank. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was pretty rough. And then the, uh, that industry is really heavily regulated in this country. Um, from oh, the raw, from the raw materials to the production to everything else, uh, so as opposed to Canada, you know they've they call it Crown Land, what we would call national forest. So they have twice as much of it, and they they really encourage forest management. So the the raw material prices up there are way cheaper. It's accessible. They got they've got better material. Whereas here, you know you you have to claw and scratch and fight and bite 
to get anything off of federal lands. And as soon as you do, then the Sierra Club or somebody is going to sue you over it. <laughs> right. And uh, so then it gets tied up. You know, so say it's a, a bunch of windfall or a fire rolls through or something like that. It's like, okay, I'll buy that, that timber stand. It gets tied up in the court for two or three years. And by that time, it's all rotten. It's worthless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, there, there are good things about, you know, OSHA and EEOC and all those sorts of things. Uh, but other places like, you know, China and Russia and Malaysia, they don't have those. Yeah. And as good as those regulations are for the, for the well-being of people, they cost money. And the consumer, you know, for better or worse, doesn't really care that they're paying for those working conditions or for the environmental benefits or everything else. They just, they see two boards and one could be marked, you know, made in the USA and one could be marked made in, you know, Siberia. And if the Siberia one's a dollar cheaper, they're going to buy that one. Yeah. So I have a question for you, and I've actually had this question for a very long time, and I I had no idea that you would be the person I'd asked it to. So what what happens in, like, say, a natural disaster like Mount St. Helens blew up, right? right? And it leveled X amount of forest. Just trees gone. I mean, they're just all laid over, right? right? So what happens there? Do they go in and let companies like that get the lumber? Uh, of course or is not. It, it just go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really interesting case study because uh, the Mount St. Helens area is it's about fifty fifty. It's about half owned and controlled by the federal government. And then I I'm going to say this wrong, but I think it's Warehouser that that owns a lot of land on the other half. And so if you look at pictures year over year after the blast of what it looks like, the half that they didn't touch because it was federally owned, you know, parkland, whatever else, it's still trees are on the ground, covered in ash. There's hardly anything happening. And then on the other side, where private industry owned it, you know, they cleaned up the deadfall, cleaned up the ash, replanted new trees, and it's it looks like a thriving forest again. That's that's the beauty of forest management. Mm-hmm. Um, but forest management is not quote unquote natural. So that's why the the environmental groups, and I shouldn't even say environmental groups. I consider myself an environmentalist. I don't like to waste anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the trees are a renewable resource. It's a great thing to use for for building materials as opposed to steel. You get a mine yeah. out of the ground and that sort of thing. But you know, the, the, uh, I guess I'll call it preservationist crowd, uh, is really just let it lay and, yeah. and nature will do what it does. And I would say that the, the private industry on the other half, it was the environmentalist side. So let's, let's just, it's like a doctor. You have a broken arm, you know, the doctor can't heal you. You can just put it in a position that you can heal itself. Mm. Well, it's the same thing with forest management, put it in a position where this stuff can grow back and, and the deer and the antelopes can play again. Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome analogy. And it comes back a lot faster, you know? That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, yes. I mean, so I guess it would it depend on um, which state it is, which uh, which state managers their, I guess that would be state force, right? Or ran better, like, say, here than they are, say, in California? I, it's, it's, I'm not. I know California has a lot of wildfires is why I say that. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the elephant in that room is that the states, particularly in the West, own extremely little property compared to the federal government. Okay. So, you know, Idaho, you know, 48% of the forest land is federal and something like 3% is state. Yeah, so wow. the, state, the state could do a bang up job, but there's just not enough there. If, mm. if you look at a map of the United States and, you know, with all the federally owned territories, it's, you know, in, in the east, you know, the, the older part of the U.S., most of it's private. Uh, so most of it's private and there's state lands and everything. In the west, it's, you know, 50, 60% federally owned. So it's... It's a good question, but yeah. you know, I think Idaho does a good job managing their lands. They just don't have much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, it's a, a big federal thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's statistically speaking, all federal. <laughs> yeah. 
Hmm. Well, which is frustrating because yeah, the you know the population centers. You know, there's far more population in the east. You know, New York City, D.C., the megalopolis up there, and and they have more say that what happens on land in Idaho or about fifty eight percent of it than what we do because we're a you know <laughs> tiny state of one point five million people. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I've always felt like you know those that live by the land. You know, are the ones that ought to care for it, right? But that's not how it. That's not how it, <laughs> not goes how it down. works. Yeah, <laughs> not how it works. Interesting. That is very interesting. I never thought of it like that before, because it's federal land. Everybody has a say in it, and the higher populated areas have a bigger say than the lower populated. And Correct. Even though we live right next to it, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. We we recreated it all the time. Yeah. Uh, we used to log it all the time, uh, but that got all cut off because the the folks in in New York, Boston, D.C., etc., uh, felt like they knew better about what to do with the land than we did. Yeah, and there's a lot more of them. That's yeah, that's very interesting. Just wow, yeah, that's just save the four. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, um, logging got a bad a bad rap, and, right? and rightly so. Yeah, but I mean, it's so different now that's, than it was really, when they first got that bad rap. Well, they got a bad rap, I think, because of clear cutting. <clears throat> well, even if even I'm clear cutting has wrong. its place. Uh, it just depends on the mixture of trees and, and what's in there and so forth. And you know, there's a lot of times where a clear cut is a lot more environmentally sensible thing to do uh, if you have an entire stand of you know, older growth trees. If you thin those out selectively, well, they've been used to having other trees around them all the time. Mm. So when the wind blows through, it's blocked you know, by the other trees around it. So if you cut out 50% of the trees, then they all blow over the next time there's a strong gust. Mm-hmm. So depending on the on the mix of species and age and everything else, sometimes a clear cut really is the best way to go. And then, and then when you have all the open sunlight, when you replant, that stuff grows back in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, in other cases where it's a much more mixed stand, you know, fires have already blown through in the past and everything else, some old trees, some younger trees, everything else, then in that case, a selective cut probably does make more sense. Because you'll still have, you know, the, the older trees with stronger root structures. You still have the younger trees catching the sunlight going through. It's it's a really scientific thing that I am not even nearly qualified to yeah. talk about, so I'm not sure why I'm saying so many words about it right now. <laughs> well, you know a lot more than I do about yeah. it. I can tell yeah. you that. Well, I grew up in it, so yeah. it's you know I've mm-hmm. been around it for quite a bit. But so it's it just depends on the scenario. But you know there were there was a time when it was just cut 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 everything goes down, uh, no replanting because that takes money and effort, mm-hmm. and so you just decimate these entire forests. You know in the in the late 1800s and early 1900s especially after the the internal combustion engine when you could really haul haul wood out of the forest fast uh it, they they really did just completely wipe out entire swaths of forest land and that's what gave them a bad name mm. so two things happened one is people realized that this actually has an effect on the ecology i used to hunt deer all the time they're not around yeah and two if that's your business and you've got a whole bunch of infrastructure and sawmills and so forth set up around you cut out cut down every tree around it don't replant it well, you're out of business and 10, 15 years. So, you know, generally the, the market principles, I'm going to sound like a super free market guy here because I am probably, <laughs> but you know, the, it makes sense that to take care of, of your resource because you're going to rely on that forever. Otherwise you just wipe out the whole forest. Then you got to pick up all your infrastructure, move it someplace else, buy more land, cut it down and eventually you run out. Yeah. So it's the industry got smarter. Uh, they were pushed along a bit by some regulations that were, I believe sorely needed at the time. But it it still carries this bad rap in in the Western world. I would say, uh, I don't know if it's because people don't realize that it grows back and it's okay, <laughs> yeah. or or not. You know, the Sierra Club for the longest time. I don't know if they still do, but they still advocate for steel beams as an environmentally conscious uh, 
uh, alternative to wood. And I don't understand that. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, yeah, a steel beam is going to last for probably longer than mm-hmm. a stick built house. But once you dig that hole in the ground, it's going to take 17 million years for that ore to come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. And it takes a lot of processing, yeah. energy, heat. You know, you, you've got to you've got to run a lot of fish over the dam and burn a lot of dinosaurs to create a steel beam. <laughs> and it doesn't take that much to cut down a tree and saw it into <laughs> burn a lot lumber. of dinosaurs. <laughs> so, I mean, he's not wrong. Uh, no. <laughs> I like that. Uh. But it's you know the the arguments just get. It seems like the more time goes on, the arguments get more and more emotional mm-hmm. and I get it, but it's, you know, we need to put some logic behind it too. Right. Yeah. Take your emotions out of it. Realize that we can replant. Right. Right. And if you, if you do it like you were saying, do it right, it's going to be something that we can just keep doing. We have an endless resource, right? An endless resource. As long as we do it right. Yeah. That's awesome. Makes sense. So with Idaho Veneer, you said you worked there. How long did you work there? I started working there when I turned 18. I was working at Hudson's Hamburgers prior to that, actually. Oh, nice. God, I love that place. But uh, they paid <laughs> me more in food than they did in money. Yeah, they serve a good <laughs> burger, that's for <laughs> yes, sure. they do. <laughs> uh, but I'd open your paid better, so I you know, started 18, cutting down weeds and that sort of stuff, and then uh, into production. And I worked there every summer, Christmas break, spring break, that sort of stuff through college, and then got offered the job in sales after I graduated. So I did that for not quite 11 years. And then the recession hit, and I just I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. You know, the you know, every everybody there was taking a salary, drew a couple of pay cuts. We had to start contributing more to benefits, and and you know it, that's just that's just the way the industry was. There was there was no money left. So saw the writing on the wall and started putting some feelers out there, and yeah. actually ended up on the other side of the corn in purchasing. Hmm. How did that uh, transition to sales go? Was your dad or uncles were they salesmen? Yeah, so my my grandpa Leonard, it's kind of an interesting story. So uh, Leonard and his brother Bob uh, married two sisters, uh, Julia and Jean, and Jean Gregor. Two brothers married two sisters. Correct. Well, that's a rare thing. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it wasn't so rare back then. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. But so anyway, it was it was Leonard, Bob, and uh, their common father-in-law, John Gregor, that started Idaho Veneer back in 1953. So it's been in the family for for quite a long time. And my, my grandpa was the sales end of things. And, uh, and then my uncle John t- took that over, uh, from him when he, well, he was, he got into sales before my grandpa retired and then took over as president of sales. And my grandpa, uh, called it a career. And so, uh, I, I guess sales was kind of in that side yeah. of the family. Huh? So you kind of grew up a learning, at least watching a, a bit. Yeah. yeah. My dad was always the, the production <clears throat> guy. He was the, the operations guru. He could, he could fix, he still can't, he could fix anything on the planet. Yeah. I could just run my car off a cliff and in a week you'd <laughs> have it running again. You know? <laughs> so, Rolled it over, huh? Yeah, exactly. we that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got some of that too, which is nice mechanically. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I learned a, a whole bunch from my dad. He was, he was almost always wrenching on something, fixing something. And we were talking before we started recording about, you know, checking YouTube because I'm too cheap to call somebody to, yep. to come fix something. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, before YouTube, my dad was YouTube. If, if I couldn't figure out anything and I still do that as an adult, it's like, dad, <laughs> this isn't working. What do I do? It's like, all right, well, either do this, this, or do you want me to come over? <laughs> I'm 43 years old. My dad still fixes stuff for me every once in a while. Yeah. Why don't you just come over? That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> well, that was one time, not that long ago after we bought the, uh, the house I've been in now for seven years, but I was something was going on under the sink in the kitchen and all of a sudden water is just spraying everywhere. And I can't, I don't know what to do. 
and it was, the house was still new to us. So I don't know where the shutoff is. I don't know anything. And it's like 1030 at night. <laughs> I call my dad and he's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. But can you please come over? My house is flooding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to look. <laughs> so, so he came over, got the water shut off, got it all figured out. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. That's super great. You know, it's, it's, uh, one of those things where those guys just grew up in a different time, you know, right. they, they didn't have most of the time they didn't have people that they could say, Oh, Hey, you know, come fix my appliance that broke or whatever, you know, right. Maybe they didn't even have appliances, but, um, they just had to figure it out. Right. Well, I think too, that, that, that age, you know, that generation didn't grow up like we do where almost everything is disposable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something breaks, you throw it away. A microwave is 50 bucks. Oh, yeah. shoot, it broke. I'm not going to fix it. Throw it in the trash and buy a new one. Right. I, I mean, I can remember helping my grandfather dismantle. You remember the big old tube TVs, the oh, huge yeah. ones? It was basically like a table where you could set <laughs> stuff on. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, he he would dismantle those and turn them into cabinets. Easy. That's pretty cool. You put some cabinet doors on them, put the back back on after you gutted it out, right? You're good to go. I right. mean, it was great. But they were huge, old, awesome-looking cabinets, and all you had to do was take the guts out of it. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, at that time, probably uh, uh, to buy a set of cabinets probably wasn't, you know, it wasn't some knockdown junk from China. It was probably yeah. expensive. So right. if you could repurpose something like that, then you're saving money too. Yeah, but these TVs, I mean, they were, I mean, they were built to last. I, mean, I moved one of those once and I, I think my back still hurts from that. That was like 25 <laughs> years ago. <Right. laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just the same with anything else back then. You know, you buy a toaster, it's built to last stand the test of time i mean right. most of the time those things would um the cord would go bad before the device would right yeah so you rewire a new cord and right. keep on going for another 20 right. years yeah yeah i remember uh, my parents they got a uh it had to be the early 90s but we got our first big tv right a 32 inch zenith oh, yeah. right and it was in one of those cabinets right it had the built-in speakers you know uh-huh. super nice super heavy but that's when, you know, like the Oak Entertainment Centers were in. We had to have one of those. And, yeah, just different time these days. Now it's about how flat it can be, how light it can be. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, speaking of TVs and technology, I, I learned that lesson a couple of times just this last couple of weeks. You know, as we got our Biden bucks, right? So okay, <laughs> what are we going to do with it? <laughs> so we've wanted Stimulus to, money. We've been trying to upgrade everything to, to smart TVs anyway. We're kind of, you know, walking away from cable in every room and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So we still have one of the super old, well, it's not even super old. It's probably from the nineties, but it's out in the garage. You know, the big 32 inch weighs 5,000 pounds. <laughs> and then there had a flat screen TV. I've got uh, a sunroom built onto the back of my house, which is a bar. But the, uh, this flat screen TV, it was one of the first ones that ever came out. I bought it. I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, you know, 40 inch TV. It was friggin' 1800 bucks. <laughs> you know? yeah. Now you can get the same thing. It's way better for you know, <laughs> 250, right? Right. But I, I'm, it's been hanging up on the wall for seven years. So I just took it down last week and damn near fell off the ladder. I forgot how heavy those <laughs> yeah, things oh, yeah. were. Right? Yeah, I have one uh, in my upstairs of my house. And it was, I want to say I got it in like 2000, I don't know, 12, you know, not that long ago. And so I have a I have a 82-inch uh, TV downstairs. Good right? Lord. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it barely fits. So yeah. on his wall. I'm coming yeah. to your house next football season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... That one, I bet, weighs maybe a third of what the, I want to say it's a 47-inch TV, maybe maybe a 42. 
but it's just thicker and I don't know if they built it out of lead. I don't know what's going on, but yeah, super heavy. Right. So, so I, I hung up the new TV, which is you know 43 inch bigger TV and I'm spinning it on my finger like a globe trotter, just put it up on it's like, how is this even possible? Yeah, right. It's a nicer TV. It costs 250 bucks. Yeah. That weighs about 10 ounces. It's technology is pretty, yeah. pretty that's amazing. the cool thing though, is I mean like the more popular it gets, they find out how to do it cheaper, you know, cause when I bought that, uh, that, 47 or 42 inch TV, whatever it is. I want to say it was twelve, thirteen hundred dollars right. you know, and, and now like you're saying a couple hundred bucks, yeah, 4K, 4K, 43 inch yeah. TV. Yeah. Way better picture bucks. than what I have. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. I, I remember <laughs> the first flat screen that I bought, right. At, at we went to Costco and it was like 2,800 bucks. It was oh. like the low model. Right. <laughs> and, and now the same TV, I mean, you can't even get the same one now, but comparably, right, the size wise and stuff, it, it would be like 1200 bucks. You know right. what I mean? I wonder if we're just, are we, are we just old? <laughs> Is that our problem now? Seen so I remember when this was all fields, man. <laughs> I remember when this was all fields. Uh. I do too. Honestly, I do. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'm not from this area, but I've been up in this area right. when I was a kid and yeah. That's when you know you're getting old when... And you turn to somebody and say, I remember when this is all fields, man. Yeah. Well, I remember when the, really the only thing in Post Falls, it seemed like, was uh, the strip mall. Yeah. You know, and the valley wasn't a thing. You know, oh, if you want to go to a mall, you had to go to Northtown. Right. When I was like uh, 10, 11 years old, I would go over to my buddy's house, and we lived in Moses Lake, Washington. And uh, we would ride, he had little Honda Trail 90s, right? Oh, yeah. And we would fantastic. ride these little bikes in the field behind his house. And I call it the field behind his house, but it was probably like 45 acres, right? <laughs> right. Of stuff. It, it went from his house all the way to the, was it Highway 17? Uh-huh. And we have these, we have this Polaroid photograph of us, <laughs> right? Um, Those are making a comeback. Yeah. Right? Taken from basically the backyard of his house with the field behind us. Now, that's all houses. There's like a Home Depot, right? It's all like, it's, you can't see nearly as far, but it's all, it looked like it's just all wide open spaces in the background right. of this Polaroid, you know? And now, I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Well, it's funny to think that I remember watching a Johnny Carson show. That's how old I am forever <laughs> ago. And he was commenting on how the population of the world was 3 billion people. Oh, geez. I don't even feel like I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's almost eight now, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Huh. So, um, walk me through what you do now. So now I'm the purchasing manager for Keytronic. Keytronic's a contract manufacturer. So we make a whole bunch of products for brands that aren't us. Uh, several of which you'll probably see at, you know, Walgreens, Walmart, that sort of stuff. Um, and we build infrared thermometers, which as you can imagine has been big business lately with COVID. Uh, we used build, to be people just at their grill with right? the steak, right? <laughs> yeah. And now everybody's pointing <laughs> them at their heads. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and some other medical part, you know, patient warming blankets have been big vaporizers, humidifiers, air filters has been huge business. Um, uh, we also do, you know, video poker machines, which crashed hard after COVID, uh, card shufflers. We do GPS, uh, devices for long haul truckers, uh, toilet scrubbers. I mean, you name it. It's, it's you know, about, 600 different product lines for and the video poker machines i mean that's just because most of the casinos nationwide worldwide really i think shut were down shut yeah, down, yeah. Right? between las vegas and macau and atlantic city that was about 80 percent of the business mm. and and they all shut down so uh that was it's an interesting business to be in because our you know it's a perfect example of don't keep all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. 
So because we have such a diverse range of products, if, if it's made out of, you know, metal and plastic and electronic bits, we can build it. And so, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit, we had all kinds of medical products that just went through the roof. We couldn't make them fast enough. Then we had other products that were purely entertainment kind of things mm-hmm. that just completely died. Mm-hmm. So we were able to struggle through. Yeah, I wish I had some stock in Purell. Right oh, man. You tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Again, Charmin toilet paper. I mean, heck, even Mr. Clean. Let's, yeah, right. I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah, toilet paper. Uh, so, uh, so that's what I do now. I'm the, I'm the purchasing manager with uh, with that company, and and buy a whole bunch of bits and pieces and stuff. Huh? How big is that company? It's pretty big. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's got a global reach. Uh, the largest manufacturing uh, facility is in Juarez, Mexico, actually, which is what the purchasing group in Spokane is. Uh, that's, that's our purpose is to keep that beast fed down there. It's about a, a million square feet campus of eight buildings, about 4,000 employees down there. Holy cow. I've got uh, manufacturing in Shanghai, China, uh, Vietnam that just opened one there about a year ago. Vietnam is the new China now. Uh, we've got a couple other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, high mix, low volume, quick turn places in uh, Minnesota, Mississippi, Arkansas, uh, so it's kind of spread all over the place, but the you know about ninety percent of it's down in just across the border in Mexico in the in the NAFTA zone there. Interesting. Have you been to those places? Uh, well, I've been to Shanghai a bunch, but not since I, I had this job. Yeah, uh, I went there before when I was uh, selling forest products because a lot of you know there's furniture manufacturing happening there. Uh, but I haven't been to any of our facilities at, at Keytronic aside yeah. from the Spokane one this far. And, and it actually was in the plan to go about a year ago. But <laughs> Cut, yeah. yeah, we all know what happened there. Got a so. pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't remember what happened exactly, but something. Right? Something, something went down yeah. like a year ago. That, oh, they keep paying me for it. So You know, it's weird is I, I actually took a trip for the place I work um, to Cal- L.A., right? To L.A. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> LA. Um, and it was like, it was like, the second week in March last year. And then the fourth week in March, everything shut down. Falling apart. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's cool. I was probably one of the last people to travel. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting, too, because the, uh, as you could probably guess, a lot of our supply comes out of you know China, particularly, but Asia uh, almost exclusively. And it doesn't matter... You know, if the finished product is, you know, has made in China on it, some some component of that product is made in China. It, all the front end stuff is in there, whether it's the wafers for PCBs or the the copper for capacitors. So, something comes from China. Right. So, you know, we have Christmas break and New Year's and we're all kind of getting back into the office and up to speed and going to my boss's office. And he has like this war room going on with the John Hopkins university thing with where this virus is and all that sort of stuff because it started and, and, and we were following it from the start because we like man the supply chain is going to get messed yeah and the rest of the country didn't hear about it for three months later you know so it was, it was kind of funny that like oh my gosh there's a pandemic it's like yeah it's been going on since december <laughs> well how many of your products come from wuhan anyway right <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> you know, from wuhan not very many but <laughs> it doesn't have to spread very far from there <laughs> it's true it's true i was just making a joke i was just making a joke right yeah, we don't use any bats in our products, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know of, yeah. anyway. That is the second time you almost made me put peanut butter whiskey through my nose. I'll keep trying, man. It's going to work. It's going to happen one of these times. Wow. Huh. So, two kids. Yes. Right? And six and... Six and three. Three. Oldest one's a boy? Oldest one's a boy. Yeah. Youngest one's a girl. And, uh, man... 
the boy, uh, he's, he's autistic and he's, he's actually been, he's been super easy. You know, he kind of keeps in his own world a lot of the time. Uh, the girl is a demon. <laughs> she, is, <laughs> she is all over the place. She is the most hard headed, determined person I have ever met in my life, which I'm partly super happy for because uh-huh. I can already tell at three years old that she's going to be okay. Nobody's going to run her over <laughs> and nobody's going to talk her into doing something she doesn't want to do. Uh, you know, even with, you know, threats of violence, she's not going <laughs> to, she, she, she doesn't bend. She does not bend. Well, it's like, like it was over a year ago. She was barely two years old and I'm sitting in the back room of my house and I've got these, you know, I had these decorative, I think it was about Easter. So I had these little Easter bunnies hanging over the keg fridge, you know, plugged into the wall. I'm watching TV and, and something out of the corner of my eye is different. I turn and the, the lights are off and I look down and she's just playing in the socket with the, with the plug. Right. And so I, I, I'm, I come unglued. I'm like, no, no. And she just keeps doing it. And I, I jump down and I smack her hand pretty hard. And she looked at me and laughed and kept doing it. <laughs> and she has not changed. She has not changed. She's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, at least she wasn't like I was not at that age. I, I was a little, a little bit older, not much. But I took a socket apart. I went and got a screwdriver <laughs> and took a socket apart live. Did you go Why? grab both sides of it? Yeah. So my mom walks in the room. I got this wire over here, this wire over here, this wire over here. Socket is completely off. 100% <laughs> off. And you're still alive to tell yeah, the story. Yeah, and, and now I know about electricity because I've been bit once before. But yeah. that's a story for another time. But um. But now I know, and I'm like, oh my God, I was such an idiot. What am I doing? You know, but my mom came in and she saw it and she's, she freaked, you know, she did the <laughs> right. typical parent, you scare, you're scaring the crap out of me, freaked out. Right. You know, I got a spanking over it. I'm like, what? I'm fixing stuff. <laughs> it wasn't broken, but I, tried, I was trying to fix it. Right. I did something similar when I was a kid. So I must've been about four years old. And I came into my brother's first grade class and they had some other older kid. He must've been fifth or sixth grade or something, but he had this, I'll, I remember this clear as day. It was a Quaker Oats box and it had this like helicopter thing on top of it and he had an electric motor in it. And so this thing was kind of, it wouldn't fly, but it's just, you know, it moved around and all the kids thought it was really cool. And I'm four years, I'm like, Ooh, it's, it's magic, you know? And so sometime later, a week or two later, I decided I wanted to try to make this thing happen. And we had these little, you know, kind of monster truck things with little tiny electric motors in it. So I found a screwdriver, took that all apart, got the motor out of it, and took the two wires and stuck them into the socket, thinking I could make this motor go. <laughs> and I just remember this huge flash, and I jumped back. <laughs> I don't know if I got shocked or not. If it's just adrenaline and I didn't feel it or what, but I remember I just I, I just end up lying on the floor and I'm looking up, and there's this huge black just scar on the wall going about three feet up you looking know, like, like, like a mustache like a, that curls like, up. Yeah, right? like, well, it's like in the shape of a of a fl- of a candle flame, you know, it's just going straight <laughs> up the wall. And of course, my dad hears something going on. He comes running down. My mom comes running in. It's like, what's going on? And of course, four years old. I don't want to get in trouble. I was like, well, this guy came in the back door and plugged this thing into the wall. <laughs> I'm already trying to lie at four years old. So yeah, I got spanked for that. <laughs> yeah, they weren't buying it for they, a second. No, they, 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 this I, guy broke in just to plug something in. I don't know what's going I, I on. thought I had the perfect poker face going, but they weren't having it. Uh, then he ran off. I don't know where don't he went. Know. Where'd he go? I don't know, backyard. Closed the door, locked it on his way out. It was crazy. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Sorry. I remember the first time I got bit, I uh, was trying to plug in, I want to say it was an NES, Nintendo. Uh, and I, I think I was holding both sides of the, like, 
I was trying to plug it in behind a, a bed so you couldn't see, you know, where the outlet was. So I was holding on to the prongs. I, I don't know, might've been 10 or something, holding on to the prongs, you know, touching both sides. And I remember like getting zapped for the first time. And then I did a bunch of electrical stuff and back when I was like in high school, I would never turn off the power just because right. it was just took an extra step. Yeah, exactly. You know, I had to walk all the way over there to flip a breaker. So <laughs> you had important I got shocked a whole bunch. So that's probably one of the things, you know, that's going on with me. Dude, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy now. And it's funny because I'm a taser instructor. Right. But um, I will turn on, like if a light bulb breaks, I'll turn off the main power to my house <laughs> to, to make sure that that outlet is off and then go and unscrew the broken light bulb. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, getting shocked with 110 isn't that bad. I got hit with 220 uh-huh. once. That scared the crap. Oh, my gosh. Holy no, smokes. thank it's you. It's a lot harder. I'm Man, out. A lot harder. You're yeah. telling me. Uh, I am out on that one. Uh, nope. <laughs> Electricity scares the crap out of me. I just don't understand it. It's like voodoo. I mean, I, I a good friend of mine who's really, really good at it, you know, explained it to me. It's like it's really no different than plumbing. You know, you've got your in, you've got your out. You know, it's, it's kind of the same deal. And to me, it's because I can't see it. It still just it right. just baffles my mind. I, I just vapor lock. Well, I, mean, yeah, I, with, I can do it, but I don't un, I don't understand it. With plumbing, you know your pipes are backed up, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can see it coming out of the bathtub and the sink and everything. <laughs> yeah. Electricity, you're like, uh, it might be off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, plumbing. You can tell. Okay, there's water there. Yeah. yeah. yeah electricity. It's like, yeah, you got to touch it before you really know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nope. I mean, it's weird that you can. You can hear it too. Like, I mean, if you ever go to like, you know, the big power lines, right? You know, you just hear it humming. And it's like, that's that yeah, that, freaky. That yeah. hum. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Piles props of dead to those birds. guys. Props <laughs> to those guys that do, you know, work on that kind of stuff, especially yeah. during terrible weather. Right. And every once in a while, I'll see a video pop up, you know, Facebook feed or whatever. And this dude's like on a power line that's <laughs> up on a. Oh, that's still hot. <laughs> what? You didn't like pull the switch down yeah. the line? You don't know? Yeah. I think it's a lot safer now than it once was. You know, I think they do like a lockout tag out kind of thing and there's people posted over there. But, I hope so. Yeah, still still not a job I would One, I'm not doing heights. Right. Two, I'm not doing stuff that makes lightning bolts, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, I'll be the guy that puts the pole in the ground. Yeah. Everything yeah. else is somebody else's problem. Somebody else can handle it. Yeah. I'll drive the truck. Right. Yeah. That puts the pole in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So boy and a girl. Yep. You done? Have any more? Yes, we are. We are done. I mean, it's, it's funny because when I was young, you know, I, I come from an Irish Catholic family on my dad's side. So it's, we had a family reunion must have been about 2004 ish. And we had to have color-coded name tags. And, you know, this, my grandma made this giant family tree. And, you know, there's cousins that I've met for maybe the second time at this thing. And I was an adult. 300-something people. I can't remember. And so, you know, growing up with that, it's like, you know, in my 20s, like, yeah, I'd love to have four or five kids. Uh-huh. And then I, you know, couldn't find somebody that would put up with me for that long. <laughs> so I got to, my, got to my 30s, you know, about 30. I was like, yeah, okay, three or four kids would be cool. Then uh, thirty five, oh, maybe two or three. I finally got <laughs> finally got married at thirty six. Had had our son at thirty seven. I was like, a two's great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> two, and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the good news about having kids older is that uh, you know, my brother had my nephew really young, and you know, obviously being in their early twenties, they struggled for money a lot, so that was always a constant concern. Yeah, but 
I, I had my first, you know, my son at 37. So that wasn't as big of an issue. It was established uh-huh. in my career. My wife was established in her career. She's a nurse. And so that wasn't an issue. But man, I just didn't have the energy I had when I was 22. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was thinking about that just uh, two days ago. I was thinking about that. Like, I'm going to be 54 when my oldest boy graduate or, you know, is a senior. In yeah. High school. I'm, I'm going to be dang near 60. Yeah. And he's going to have all this energy and just run around like, you know, mad uh-huh. at me probably. And and I'm gonna be like with a cane or something. Get back here! Get back here! Now you're starting to piss me off, you little son of a bitch. Right? And then yeah, and there's there still have been times recently where we think you know you know should we have a third? Mm. And then you know my daughter does something nuts, and we're like okay no we're we're yeah. good too. <laughs> I just can't keep up with this. Nothing like a great kid disaster to yeah. go. Nah, I'm, I'm out. I'm not having another one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that's awesome. That it is an interesting thing. You know the I I have a few friends that do the that now they're all parents, but they were we're not ready to have a kid right and then right. they hit their 30s you know and then their mid 30s and they're like okay the clock is ticking clock here. is ticking yeah i mean when are you going to be i don't think anybody's ever ready to have a child and you're like you're saying you know you're going to trade essential like hardship and income you know for a kid with you have them young versus you're going to trade energy and time i guess right. you know when they're older but a lot of people don't have kids uh until they're older, you know, because they need to find themselves. They do a lot of right. traveling and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. That's it is. It's interesting, though, you know, because I remember <clears throat> my my grandpa on my dad's side still alive. He's 92 years old. But, uh, you know, so he was, you know, in his 50s when I was a kid. So that's still plenty young to play. But I remember playing basketball uh-huh. in the driveway with him and, yeah. you know, throwing a baseball around and everything else. And I think by the time I have grandkids, I might be 117 <laughs> years old. You know? Right. Yeah. So I'm going to miss yeah. out on some of those yeah. things. That's, that's kind of the downside of. And, and I didn't wait that long by choice. It was just, you know, kind of circumstance. You, you, you got to find somebody to have kids with. Yeah. That's going to no, hang true. with you for, yeah. for a while. But so it's I'm not. Uh, I'm not crying any tears in my whiskey here yeah. about, about my fate. It's just, <laughs> it's just where I landed, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's kind of the same boat I'm in, you know, but, um, I hope I live to see my grandkids, but if, if I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm also not hoping that my son gets somebody pregnant at 18, right. you know, so. Amen. 16. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's not forget. That means they're living in your house. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. Bite your tongue over there. I am going to bite my tongue. <laughs> I'm going to bite my tongue right now. Yeah. I'm going to bite my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So I have all daughters. So I have three daughters. Wow. Yeah. And I was going to say, I know. I know. Let's not forget. I know they live why. across the street from yeah. two girls. <laughs> I see where you're going with that now. Yeah. But yeah. So three daughters. Um, my youngest one is getting ready to turn eight very shortly, then 10, and then going to be 13. So, wow. yeah. Me and my wife were talking the other day. We're like, oh my God, 10 more years. We'll have. Everyone will be over 18 years right. old. It is interesting. My dad told me when I was young, you know, the older you get, the faster time goes. And boy, that seems... That is true. Very oh accurate. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. It is I mean, terrifying. I remember, I remember before, you know, uh, summer break in high school. Seems seemed forever. Like, yeah, it seemed like it took forever. And now I'm like, 2020 already disappeared. You know, it was one of the longest years ever and it felt super fast. Right. <laughs> yeah, time flies when it sucks too, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. Well, it's, it's it's like this year with the pandemic and everything else going on. I I love to snowmobile. It's one of my favorite things to do. Of course, I haven't done it much since I had kids. 
but this year was, you know, it's like going to be my year. I'm going to go snowmobiling. And then, you know, with pandemic and all that yeah. sort of stuff going on. And then the winter here just kind of stunk. It uh-huh. wasn't much snow and everything else. But time's going by so fast. I'm thinking, yeah, next winter will be here, you know, before I know it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Hope to get some yard work done in between. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's about it. I got to take the garbage out. This time I'm going to snowmobiling again. It'll be December. I'm yeah. actually kind of hoping it snows before I have to do any hard work or <laughs> yard work. Yeah. Put it off just a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. So how's how's almost thirteen going? Um, well, so my almost thirteen year old, she lives in Ohio. Um, it's interesting. I mean, uh, she. Um, I don't know, is a you know preteen. Right. I don't, I don't. I don't know any other way to describe it. She, she's a preteen. You know. Now, I, I ask because the way things are with my daughter now, I am terrified of thirteen. Yeah. Terrified. Yeah. So my youngest daughter is very much like your daughter. So hard headed, eight years old, um, very strong mm-hmm. for her age, like both mentally and physically, you know, like, um, but yeah, I mean, when she was, I don't know, two, we went down and I have these friends that live in Southern California. We went down there to visit them and, uh, they gave her the nickname, the sheriff, because she was just like, no one's pushing her around. She's keeping everyone in check. And I, I think, like I said, I think she was two years old yeah. when this was happening. I, 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 just, I hear, I hear a vein of similarity <laughs> yeah. happening here. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's very cool on one hand. Like she's definitely a, like a leader, you know, like right. no one's telling her what to do. She's telling others what to do. And people, kids naturally follow her, which is cool to see. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things I don't have to worry about. I do have to worry about her like being so hard headed, you know, that she butts heads with everybody, but it's going to be nice that you don't have to really worry about like peer pressure. Yeah. She'll take like care that. of herself. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, um, I heard that you have as a dad, you have until like 12 to 13 to really enjoy daughters. And then they <laughs> go through this period of, they hate you. <laughs> and then, you know, they turn like 17, 18 and they start liking you again. Right. So, you know, I got that to look forward to. <laughs> I've, I've got a, a good friend who has six boys and six girls. Mm. And uh, he says the girls, that w- w- whichever one it is that turns 13, her name is Alien for the next three years. <laughs> like, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> but he says they always come around. Yeah. Yeah. Just give them some food. Right. Wait for that time. You yeah. just got to kind of ride it out, I guess, huh? I, I, I haven't experienced it yet. It's just what I've heard. Yeah, yeah I've heard the same thing. So. Well, hey, let's take a break. All right. Jason and I want to start a quote of the week, and we want your help. If you have a funny, motivating, or otherwise dastardly quote, hit us up at dadfactors at gmail.com. If you want to, or know someone who would be an entertaining guest on the show, you can contact us with the same email. That's dadfactors at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, there are a number of ways you can help us out. First, you can give us a five-star rating. Next, you can give us a comment, which is a main way the ranking algorithm works in podcasts. So is that like the rating and the comment? Yeah, yeah that would be the way it works both, out. Like both of them together? Yeah, combo okay. package if checking, you could. If know. you could, yeah. Um, and both of, those, both of those help us reach more people. Lastly, if you'd like to buy us a beer, there's a way for you to do that as well. You can go to anchor.com slash dadfactors and click the support link. Now, there you can buy us uh, some cheap beer or you can buy us some restaurant-level beer. But either way, we appreciate you listening to the show.
What was that drive? Oh, shit. God dang it. It wasn't recording any of that. We could start over. From the break. You From the fucking suck. break. No, I just, I, I don't know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> the sound guy. This is literally Fire. the first time I've done this since the third practice session. I think it was the third. Fired. <laughs> it, I thought you hit the record button. I watched you do it. I did. And some reason I just looked, glanced down like I do periodically and it wasn't fucking on and now it's on. Garbage. This, so you'll notice this has to stay in. Yeah. <laughs> you'll Are notice, you recording Joe, now? You'll notice <laughs> yes I am. About how you fucking suck. You'll notice <laughs> at the at the very beginning of our podcast, if you listen really closely, because I always just tone it way down at the end, um, right at the end of the music portion of it, it'll say, You dumb mother fucker right <laughs> that's the last time i did that on a practice podcast <laughs> and that was the first thing that got recorded i said oh crap yeah, it's not part recording and i hit record and jason comes in with you dumb yeah well we had a really good i don't know like 45 minute like practice podcast right i ranted yeah and ray oh, did I this ranted. whole rant mainly on himself and it was hilarious and then we find out he not, not never pushed the record button. Oh my god! We talked about so much stuff. <laughs> oh, we, we can. I think we could pretty well recreate it. They don't even know that you're on the city council. No, well, no nobody knows. Yeah. Well, you're we gonna when this break comes back. I, like, I, only, I only got three votes last time. That's how yeah. few people know that I'm. <laughs> this break, uh, we're back. All this is getting. Make sure all this is in. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And now I'm cussing. You see, see what you do to me. It's too much stress. I can't handle the stress. Yeah. Um, I so, had an I had an uncle once, or I I still have an uncle in law. He volunteered to record me and my wife's wedding. Right. Right. He, no fault to his own, he pushed the record button when he wanted to stop. Right. So the only thing that is actually recorded for our wedding is like him holding the camera a bunch of feet in between what's actually going on. Yeah. Feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's our whole wedding video. Yes. So in case you're listening to all this, I uh, came back from the break and we're back, by the way, hey. and thought I hit the record button. Apparently, I stopped the recording somehow. I don't know how. I don't know. Well, don't you know did record the first half, and though, we, right? Yes, and we talked for at least, because I looked at my watch when we started, for at least 30 minutes. No. It was at least 30 minutes that we chatted about stuff since we came back from the break, and now we're back again from the break. And we've got to recreate all of it, because it was great. It's almost time for another break. Yeah. (laughs) You need a light that comes on. There is a light. There's a light. That faces you, though. uh, It doesn't face anybody else. It's facing me. Yeah, doesn't face yeah. anybody else. I don't know if we're recording or not. I don't know how I do that, but I'll figure it out. I'll figure, figure it, it out. out. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, we were talking about year. Joe's on the city council of Post Falls. Yeah, I learned yeah. something new about we were, Joe. When we were talking the about the mask mandates and and uh, how we're all pretty much on the same page with uh, you know your body, your choice kind of thing. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you you know uh, we're all down with if it's required then wear it. If it's not, then it's your choice. Yeah. If it's required by some place that you're going to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That was a, a short recap of essentially 30 minutes that wasn't recorded. 
<laughs> yep. So, anyways, Joe, <laughs> when uh, when you wanted to join or when you wanted, thought about running for city council, what was that process like? I was actually I was asked to run for city council by three different people separately. I had been on the Republican Central Committee for I can't remember ten or twelve years prior to that. And I was the district three chairman for a two year stint. I was the uh, youth committeeman for a two year stint, and uh, and so. I was, I guess I had the ins there on the political things. And so people said, hey, you got to think about running for city council. And when I was first asked, I thought I would hate it because I, I had learned or I had grown to hate party politics because it was all about, you know, the, the image, the messaging, you know, how do you uh, craft a message such as to reach the uh, really the most kind of extreme of the base who's the loudest. And then, uh, you know, for better or worse, politics really is run by the extremes because they're the ones that are always active, always vocal and uh, and always demanding uh, that, you know, everybody else fall in line. And so I got a little bit jaded with party politics. And so I thought city politics was going to be kind of the same sort of deal. Um, But when I got asked to run. Uh, by a few different people. I thought, well, I'll show up to a council meeting and see what it's all about. And the seat I was asked to run for uh, was at that time held by a guy who'd been on the council for, I don't remember, 21, 24 years, something like oh, that. Wow. He was the council mm-hmm. president. And at the meeting I happened to go to was the meeting where he made the motion to raise the city taxes by 2%. And I thought, hey, I hate taxes. I'll mm-hmm. run against this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, and I won. And I had some some really amazing support. Uh, had a campaign manager that uh, didn't charge me anything and did an awesome job. I had people with uh, that made marketing materials and so forth, didn't charge me anything and did oh, an wow. awesome job. Um, and uh, you know, other people that were setting up, you know, community meetings with me and so forth. And, and, uh, it's interesting running for office. Uh, people ask me, what do you need to do to run an office? Like, first of all, get a really good campaign manager. And then the only thing you have to do is just show up to everything, <laughs> just <laughs> show up. And I, I showed up to everything, man. It was, it was a lot of time. You don't realize how big a city of at the time, 30,000 people is until you're trying to show up to everything. It's like, man, that's a lot of people. But, uh, so that's how I got into it. And, and like I, I mentioned earlier, I, I kind of came in with this super libertarian, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, restore everybody's freedom. And then I, then I figure out how stuff actually works. That's like, man, this is kind of different. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's, there's not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of freedom in flushing your toilet, but somebody has got to pay for it too. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot more pragmatic about it. Although, you know, I, I still hold those, those libertarian ideals that, you know, just yeah, you do you do whatever you th- do, whatever you want to do. As long as you're not hurting me or anybody else, man, just get after it. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. And like earlier, you gave the example about when I wasn't recording about mm. the uh, fuck you zoning <laughs> issues, you know, that you yeah, know, it, yeah, you it, see, it, so zoning issues. I, I learned over time that really what, what all of the zoning regulations basically are for is to keep people from suing each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause, cause I, I came in with like, it's your property. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. But you know, like you've got this beautiful house in this beautiful neighborhood. And if somebody buys the property next door and decides to tear down the house and, and put a water treatment plant in it, uh, 
that's going to affect your property value in a very negative way. It's going to stink and nobody's going to want to live here. So your property value is going to go from, you know, whatever it is now down to probably 10% of that because nobody wants to live next to a, you know, a turd factory. Right. So that's the whole point of zoning laws is that, okay, you can do these things within these parameters in this area and everybody who buys property there knows that going in. So if you don't want to abide by that, fine, don't buy that property. That's, there's, there's property out in the county you can put a turd factory on. That's okay. But uh, if we didn't have that, then we would have this constant fight of people wanting to do what they want on their own property that happens to damage the neighbor's property or, or maybe there's just a perceptive perception of damage to the neighbor and that ends up in courts. And so then we got to, you know, multiply the number of judges and lawyers by a thousand and sink all that money into the court system for people to sue each other all the time. Or we could just say, Hey, you know what? This is a residential neighborhood. You can have this many units per acre. You've got this much space. You can't have a landfill. You can't have an oil well. You mm-hmm. can't have a, a sewage plant. And here you go. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the, the kind of the point of, uh, I learned over time of, of these zoning regulations is it's to make, it's to make your investment predictable and to minimize the potential for damage to your own investment. And so once once I learned all that, how it worked, it's like, okay, that really is kind of, in a way, a libertarian way of doing yeah. it. Yep. It's, it, it's, it's ensuring, and like I said, if you own a piece of property and then they change the rules on you, that's no good. Mm-hmm. But there's laws that protect that too. They're grandfather clauses. So if, if you build a, you know, a, a industrial business, an industrial zone, and then everything around you turns into residential, you're still allowed to do your thing in that industrial zone until you leave or you want to change the use. Mm. So there's no taking there either. It's been very well thought out by people a whole lot smarter than me a long time ago of how these things ought to work. And so I've become much more pragmatic since I've been on the, on the council about, about those types of, of rules and regs. As long as everybody knows up front what they're getting into and if they get into it, they can stay with that for their life essentially, or, or as long as that use even continues. So if, so say you own a, a light industrial piece of property and everything around you ends up residential, but you know, you pass that business along to your son, as long as that use stays the same, you're allowed to use it that way forever Mm -hmm. until somebody else buys it or say your grandson wants to change it. Then the zoning will change. But, uh, until then you still have the right to, to use it for the purpose you bought it for. And that, that prevents the government from taking that value from you. So that was a long explanation. (laughs) No, I like it. So, um, being on the city council, uh, and in North Idaho, one of the places that's just really exploding right Mm -hmm. now, as far as the demand for housing is so high, how do you like, um, how do you work with that? Like uh, there has to be a balance, right? Because, people that have been here a long time enjoy the small town feel right. of a city like this. Whereas, you know, um, there's such a demand for housing right now. The, the real estate market has doubled in the last two, two, three years. I'd say at least. Yeah. So how, how does that balance work? Well, it's a, it's a definitely a tricky one. The, uh, there are two separate issues that often get combined incorrectly into one. I've heard a bunch of times that we have to stop this growth because people are coming in from out of state with wads of cash and driving the prices up. Well, that's not how it works. So we're having growth, but there's, there's two ways you can handle it. One is you can build more and grow and increase the supply of housing, which will, you know, ultimately supply and demand keeps the price down. Or you can do some kind of moratorium or limit on the number of building permits 
Uh, but the more you do that, the more the prices go up because people still want to live here. So if you limit the number of options, then only the people with the most money will come here and the prices will drive up even faster. So do you want growth and I would, I'd say more reasonable housing prices. We can't, we can't possibly build fast enough right now to meet the demand that's mm-hmm. out there. So prices are going to go up no matter what. I mean, we're just look around post falls. We are building like crazy. There's, mm-hmm. there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of units going up right now. And, uh, and of course more and more and more that people want us to annex into the city and build more. I mean, framers working in January. Yeah. It's insane. I, I saw it. It was crazy. <laughs> Seen it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's expensive to put up tents and propane and poor driveways, but we saw it all winter long, right? Right. It's because that's, that's how much the demand is right now. So it's, it's a really tough balance. My, my personal position has been uh, that we, ha- we can't strain the infrastructure too much. And so a lot of the annexations, uh, you know, proposals that have been put in front of us have been, you know, very many of them have been along the Highway 41 corridor. Uh, Prairie Avenue and so forth, but Highway 41 is is going through a major renovation right now. It's about a year, year and a half behind. It's not going to be finished until probably the end of next year, and and that's only for Mullen North. We still have Dysfunction Junction down at you know I 90 Celtis <laughs> Highway 41. It's Dysfunction just, Junction. Yeah, oh, he's a, not wrong about that. I a, waited at that light for like the better part of 30 minutes the yeah, other day. No, well, every day on my way to work, I got to go through that, and, it, and it's yeah. a, it's a mess. And that's going to get addressed, but that's not going to be until 2024, 2025. So the more we annex property along that corridor, along Celtis, 41, Prairie, Pole Line, anything near that that feeds into it, the, the more messy that's going to get. And so my position lately has been, we've already approved, I don't know how many thousands of units of apartments, houses, whatever else. Let's just kind of pump the brakes a bit and wait until all the infrastructure improvements catch up. And then we'll see where we're at. And we can start at that point, maybe annexing, annexing some more stuff in. Uh, we just uh, turned one down the last council meeting. It was actually a really great project. It was a lot of, um, you know, single family, we call them twin homes. So that you, the property line is right down the middle of the building. So it's, it's kind of like a duplex, but you actually own, you know, each person owns each side. A lot of those uh, and some duplexes, that sort of thing. So it's, it's not you know, three story apartments, but it's more dense housing, a little more affordable. It's on the north side of Prairie, just west of 41, can be 170 units on top of the 500 units that still have to get built out in, you know, Tullamore and uh, all the other areas around. It's like, we, we just gotta, just give it a, just give it a rest for a minute. Let, let's, let's let 41 catch up. Let's let Prairie build out. Let's let everything else go. And then once that's all in, in equilibrium, let's take a look at it again in a year year and a half from now and, and see if it makes sense. This area is going to grow. We, the, the, the genie's out of the bottle. We can't put it back. And, you know, the, the polarization of politics in, in the country has only made it, I mean, it, depending whether you're pro-growth or anti-growth, has only made it better or worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pandemic, oddly enough, with, with so many people now having the ability to work from home, improve broadband, everything else, we're getting tons of people from California, Portland, Seattle. Mm-hmm moving out here because they prefer the politics. They prefer the, the, you know, less traffic jams, less crime and everything else, but they can still keep their, their higher paying job from, from where they're from. So they're coming in here in droves. It's a much younger crowd coming here now than before when it was just pretty much retirees. So it's going to grow. There, there, there's nothing we can do to stop it. So the, the, the only thing I, I can try to do is, 
is, okay, how do we do this in, in, a, in a reasonable manner so that we don't completely outgrow the infrastructure before it can mm-hmm. catch up? Um, and at the same time, we don't price everybody out of their house. Uh, I'm going to go on another completely different but related rant, property taxes. That's, that's another huge, <laughs> another huge thing. Property taxes are, uh, are a weird beast, and we get a lot of grief about it as a city uh, because we're allowed to collect funds in two, only two ways. And this is the only ways, according to state law, we could do it. It's by property taxes and by fees. So anything that's of a, of a public use, so one person doesn't get a measurable benefit from it. Uh, so say your, your garbage bill, you know, you, you get charged nine bucks a can and you have a physical can that you put out and it gets dumped in a truck and gets taken away once a week. That's a measurable benefit. So we charge a fee for that. It's $8.75 a month. Uh, your water bill, that's measured in gallons. That The gallons only come into this house. You use a certain number of gallons, and we charge you for that. That's a measurable benefit. We charge a fee for that. Then there's things like roads. Well, we don't know which roads you drive on. People drive on all roads all the time. So it's that's a public benefit. We can't charge a fee for that, so that's part of the general fund. That's a property tax. We can't charge an income tax. State law says we can't do that. We can't charge a sales tax. State law says we can't do that. So the only thing we can do is tax is tax the value of property. So all of that stuff, police, uh, fire is not in our purview, but you know the, the KCFR has their own thing. School districts, their own ta- taxing district. Uh, the, the wastewater plant, um, we can charge a fee for that because we, we just make an assumption that you know, every dwelling unit is going to flush a certain amount of stuff, <laughs> which is, which is pretty accurate most of the time. So we could charge a fee for that streetlights. Not everybody has a streetlight in front of their house. It might be down the street, but you know, people who don't live in that neighborhood may drive through it and get the benefit of that. So we used to charge a fee for that. Uh, we were threatened to get sued for it. And we all talked about, it. it's like, you know, the guy that's threatening to sue us is right uh, because it is a public benefit. So we, we actually removed that fee, raised the general fund, uh, and, turn it into a tax. Long story short, those are the only ways we collect money. So property taxes are based on the value of property. So commercial properties seven years ago were typically much more valuable than residential properties. So uh, commercial property at that time, we, we ran this, we, I seen the city staff did, they're great. I didn't do anything. I just, <laughs> I just listened <laughs> to the report. Uh, but at that time, uh, commercial properties generally paid in more than they took out in services, and residential properties basically took out more in services than they put in. Uh, the last four or five years, residential values have been going up way faster than commercial uh, properties have. So that's shifted. So even though our budget, we haven't changed the, the percentage that we take at all in 10 years. And uh, But because residential values are growing so much faster than commercial, now homeowners are paying a lot more than commercial people are. Walmart's paying a whole lot less than they were three years ago, and you and you and I are paying more because the relative value of our of our homes have increased so much faster than Walmart's. Mm-hmm. So everybody's screaming at our door, why are you raising our taxes? It's like, uh, talk to the state. That's This is the only way that we gotta do it, and they tell us the formula we have to go by. And the formula is broken, that's pretty clear. But because it's growing so fast right now, it that's essentially happening. But eventually, that should catch up, right? The the commercial property should catch up. Well, kind of. But the, the interesting thing is that there's there's a very large influx of people right now, particularly since the pandemic, that are working in Seattle but living here. Oh, so they're they're working remotely. So the 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 commercial is not coming as fast as the people are as would be the normal case. 
So normally people don't move here unless there's someplace physically in Post Falls they can work or Coeur d'Alene or someplace in the surrounding area. But now that so many people can work from anywhere, then the people are coming because it's such a great place to live, but the business isn't. And I'm sure that's just the wave of the future that, you know, Zoom meetings have essentially changed the game. I mean, COVID has changed the game in, in the fact of people who were told they're not allowed to remote into work ever now remote into work all the time. Right. And so, yeah, it, that's an interesting, interesting thing to think about commercial property in that aspect that you can work. You know, I mean, we're used to taxing that right, right as a city and now you can maybe move that to like you're saying, Seattle, you know, and still work from post walls. It's well, and, and even, even before COVID, uh, the shift was happening. So we used to go to the mall to go buy stuff. You need mm-hmm. a pair of shoes, you need a lawnmower, you needed something else, you go to the mall, right? Well, now you can get most of that stuff online. It shows mm-hmm. up to your door. It's We live in an, an incredible time technologically because twice now in the last month, we've put in an order with Walmart Plus and it has shown up to our door faster than I could have gone there and got it myself. <laughs> really? Seriously, yeah, one time it showed up in 28 minutes, another time it showed up in 32. I can't, I can't drive there, do my own shopping and bring it back that fast. Wow. And, and, it's, and it's free shipping, right? This, this, we live in an incredible time. So that probably, you know, I mean, COVID probably sped that process along because people are afraid to go shopping. But that was coming anyway. I mean, Amazon has, has become the global juggernaut because why, why drive half hour to the, to the Valley Mall to buy a book or to buy <laughs> a motorcycle? I mean, they sell everything mm-hmm. now, right? When you can put in an order and in a day or two it shows up. Why waste your gas? Why waste your time? Right. Yeah. So, so that stuff's been coming anyway. Brick and mortar is, is kind of, it's, it's, it's been fading anyway. I think there's always gonna be a place for it because I'm one of those freaks that actually, when I read a book, I like to pick up a book and with paper and, and read it. And I, you know, so I think that's probably safe for a couple of generations. I mean, my kids will probably never know what a paper book is. Right. I, mean, right. I mean, they look at them now, they just tear them apart, throw them on the floor. <laughs> but, yeah. I just watched a documentary the other day called the, the last blockbuster. Right. Hey, have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, I have. Actually, it's, it's great. Along the same lines. Like, when I was a kid, I thought, Shh, video stores are going to be here forever. Right. You know? Now you don't ever see them anywhere. Well, my wife and I, some, some of our funnest first dates, you know, the first year we were dating, we just go to the video theater, which is miraculously still there on Silties. <laughs> yeah. And we just go look at all the stupid movies that were there, and we just laugh for an hour, you know? And we'd finally rent something and go home. Well, we haven't rented a movie, you know, a physical movie in what three four five years well i mean it's crazy now you look at even like the the gaming consoles right there's a uh, to order a car right now with a cd player it's a special item right you have to pay more for it now the same thing with gaming consoles uh there's the disc version and there's the digital version where they don't even accept discs anymore right so yeah i mean that uh, soon you won't even be able to go to a video store because you don't even have a DVD player. Right. You know, so yeah, I've got two DVD players that were Blu-ray players. I haven't used and I, I can't remember the last time <laughs> I used them. Now, why do that when you just download it from right. you know Netflix or Amazon video yeah, for three bucks? Stream. It's like, why even bother to stream it? We've come a long way since eight tracks, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So to come around full circle, the, the value disparity between commercial and residential, I think is only going to continue to, to grow. And so there's going to need to be some kind of change in state law. Personally, I think everything ought to be a sales tax. Everything. You exempt necessities. So you exempt housing, you exempt food, you exempt education, you exempt healthcare. Because that's what most people spend most of their money on. Everything else, put a tax at 20%. 
get rid of property taxes, get rid of income taxes, get rid of all that stuff that's really unfair. And so, because with the property tax, uh, if you pay your house off, you're still just renting it from the government because you don't pay your property tax, they take it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so nobody ever owns anything. And if you never own your house, right, if you're always renting, then right. you never pay property tax. Well, you do with right. through your rent. Well, I mean, they're, 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 they're going to get their money back. You're paying someone else to pay their property Correct. tax. Yeah. And, and an income tax, I, I think it's it's just horribly unfair that you know you you spend somebody spends a lot of time you know developing a skill, getting an education, doing whatever they do, and then it's like, well, great, thanks for doing all that work. I'm going to take thirty percent of it. Right. That that just to me seems patently. Well, I mean, unfair. it's a crazy idea. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a crazy it's, idea to think like, hey, good job. Yeah. Go ahead and give me that money. Right. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> but with with a sales tax, I think, you know, for the most part, people who make more money spend more money. So, okay, tax it when they spend it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That seems more fair to me. Of course, the, the, the fear of that is that then people who make a lot of money are just going to sit on cash. When I think back, when I think of that, I think of a, a good friend of my dad's. who He was the uh, Idaho Veneers attorney for a long time. One of my dad's favorite book was a millionaire next door. And my dad really kind of lived that, you know, he was, he's, he's always been very frugal, uh, reuses everything he possibly can. Um, you know, it doesn't spend extravagantly at all. And, and he's, he's done well for himself. So when I was talking to his, uh, his attorney friend was, was also a ski patrol guy up at silver mountain. So I, I used to ski a bunch. So I'd, I'd go up skiing with him on the patrol. And, uh, my dad brought up that book when we were driving up there and, uh, and his name was Ed. He says, I hate that book. <laughs> My dad looks over and like, why? And he said, well, because money isn't worth anything until you spend it. <laughs> I was like, you know, you kind of got a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Makes a lot of sense. So huh. uh, that's why I think a sales tax would largely work is, you know, I, may, I make more money now. In, in 2009, the, the, the lowest point of the Depression, I made a, not a good amount of money. I, I was literally averaging $1.50 a meal. Because mm. I, I ate at home, I didn't go do anything. It was, I was trying to pay a mortgage, and not making much money because the the bottom just fell out. And now I make a lot more money than that. And guess what? I spend a whole lot more too. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so we get taxed on that side. It is amazing. Uh, my my, I I got laid off roughly around that time, and about a month after I got laid off, my wife got laid off. Oh man! And we went from two incomes down to uh, and yeah i don't know what happened exactly but her her company contested her unemployment or whatever down to just my unemployment you know and unemployment benefits aren't what you make right Right. (laughs) at least Um, you were in washington at the time i assume right yeah yeah thank god (laughs) yeah so but we 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 figured a lot of stuff out real fast and we we had just signed the paperwork on our new house like a month before that oh man you know so we're brand new in this house. We didn't even have the house painted. It was white, white walls just straight from the, <laughs> the builder. Right. Uh, for years, for a couple of years after we bought that house, um, because we just simply couldn't do it. Right. You know? And then, um, you know, things slowly got better. I, I went back to work and, and my wife, my wife and I decided that she would stay at home and take right. care of the kids at least for a little while. And, and everything slowly got better, but we went from making a bunch of income every month down to like not even 10%. Right. You know, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's amazing the things that, at least that I did, it's, it's, it got to be, I got to be so paranoid because t- money was so tight. 
that at night I would close every door in the house and I had an electric heater just in the bedroom and I turned the heat down to 50 degrees the rest of the house. And and I would just heat that one room, just try to keep the power bill down. I remember one morning I walked out and I must have turned the heater down too much. I walked out of my room and I could see my breath in the hallway. <laughs> but, but You're that, like, man, I'm cheap. <laughs> but that's how that's how tight the bills got, yeah, right? Right. So it, it was a, it, I mean, looking back at it now, it's like, that was a great lesson. It's like, okay, I know I can make it if everything just drops out again. I sure as heck don't hope that doesn't happen again. Right. But at least I know I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm in the same boat. Uh, but still to this day, I know within maybe two minutes if my kids mess with the thermostat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I just do. I, I'm like, it's too hot in here. It's too hot. <laughs> Somebody mess with it and I'll go look. And sure enough, <laughs> and, sure and, enough. And my wife is so in tune with that because my daughter will, she messes with everything. She'll go touch the thermostat one degree, and 15 minutes later, my wife will be like, does somebody mess with the thermostat? One, de- <laughs> one degree, she can tell. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. pretty awesome. So uh, do you have any aspirations to go larger in politics? Uh, I'm going to be honest and say that I used to. Yeah. But things have gotten so vicious that I don't want to put myself and my family through that. Mm. Yeah, virtually any campaign nowadays, even if it's lower-level government, right. it seems like, is a mudslinging contest. Yeah, it's it's brutal. I mean, five years ago, I, I was actually thinking about, you know, maybe governor someday might be a thing I'd want to do. And now I'm not even sure that mayor is something I want to do. Right. Because everything is so scrutinized, and, and, it, and this isn't really, I'm not blaming the left or the right or anything else. It's, it's, it's pretty common amongst both, is that, they will take anything you say and put it in a context that's the worst way possible uh, to try to to try to burn you down, right? And or to to make you sound like something that you're not, right? Right? And it's and it's terrifying to me. And and, and I'm there's only been one perfect person ever on the history of the on the earth, and and that's not me, <laughs> you know. So it's yeah, I don't want somebody digging back into into things I said when I was 22 years old. I, I was I was a I was a totally different person back then. Yeah. I was largely a idiot you know right <laughs> so yeah it's, so it's it, it's those kinds of things that that i don't even really want to go through hmm. and uh and, and when you start talking about positions like governor holy smokes man it's it's things will get made up things will get taken out of context things will get twisted and at this point it doesn't pay enough for me to go through that yeah <laughs> well and, it, and it, i feel like it, the, it used to be the old adage is right if you're in an argument don't sling mud because you just lose ground right but nowadays, it doesn't matter. Right. You're not losing any ground. <laughs> if in, in fact, in the campaign world, you're gaining it, right? It's, it's like he who slings the most mud wins yeah. anymore. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's gotten to be terrifying. Even being at the city level, like uh, in the part that you didn't record, we're talking about the mask mandates, right? <laughs> you got to bring up old stuff, dude. <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> But even that got so brutal. So we, we, you know, we we had the the meeting about whether to mandate masks or not, and there's a crowd of people outside city hall, you know, pounding on doors, you know, wanting. To, and, and I get where they're coming from. It's a public meeting, but we also have to abide by governor's orders, which says you can't have more than so many people per so much square feet, right? So we can only have eight people in the room. And it was first come first serve. So the first two in the door, that was it, right? And. Uh, and so there was there was all that uproar, and then on the other side, it's like, well, if you don't vote for a mandate, you've got blood on your hands for everybody that dies, and it was it was just, it's insane. <laughs> and, and, and to me, it's a pretty common sense thing. You know, uh, I voted against it as did the majority of of the council, because the science shows that a proper mask worn properly 
has some positive effect. It's not, it's not, you know, a, a magic bullet, but even if it's 20% effective, okay, that's 20% fewer people in the hospital. Right. But if you're wearing a sock over your mouth, then that counts for the most part because the CDC doesn't, doesn't really recognize. That's right. I did tell that story. You did tell that story, which is why I'm bringing it back up now. (laughs) Because you know, the the CDC has, has done a horrible job of saying, this is what you have to wear and this is how you have to have, have to wear it. And the media hasn't really followed up with that and everything else. So if we're going to try to enforce a mask mandate, then we would have to put every single officer in the city of Post Falls, making sure that the mask was over the nose. It was a proper type of mask. You know, I've seen people just, I don't know, just to be immature, you know, wear a mask with a hole cut out of the face. And technically that's okay. Right. Well, that's it's stupid. It's mass theater. That doesn't do any good. Well, I was thinking about wearing like a, a um, Lone Ranger mask. Right? Oh, just over my eyes. <laughs> just oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that would probably count. Hey, I'm wearing my mask. Right? <laughs> so, so to enforce it, we'd have to take the entire police department, write in fines for people having a mask off their nose or having a, you know, a sock over their face or all these things while, you know, there's other actual crime going on. When, when what I, what I really just wish is that people would, would just be reasonable. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's great. If a business requires a mask, then fine. Don't go in there. Right. If a business does, you know, doesn't require a mask and you want to wear one, but you're afraid to go into a business that doesn't require a mask, then great. Don't go in there. Yeah. Well, I was in a business recently. I won't mention which one it is or whatever, but, um, and I was, you know, I was wearing my mask cause they, it's one of those that says, Hey, you need to wear one while you're in here. Right. Okay. Or else we're going to ask you to leave. Okay, cool. So I'm wearing mine and this dude walks in and he's shopping or whatever. And he's on like on the phone or whatever. And, and the guy goes, Hey sir, do you have a mask? And he says, Nope. And the guy goes, well, I need you to, here, I'll get one for you. Right. Kind of just being nice. And he's like, no, I don't need one. And I'm kind of like watching it like I'm watching a ten- tennis match, right. you know, like I'm back, like this way and that way. And uh, <laughs> and he goes, well, we require a mask to be in here, sir. And he goes, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And he just walked out. And it's like, okay, man. Well, at least he walked out. I mean, Apparently you fine. don't want, it, want their products, you know. Right. But, but I did. But, so. I, I, you know, you see it from both sides. That, you know, you, you see the videos of people that have masks on that get, you know, 12 inches from the face of somebody who doesn't screaming at them about it. Right. Well, that defeats the whole thing. And you know, what happened yeah. to social distancing all of a sudden? You just you don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. Just just let the guy go about his business. And, and then I've actually personally seen, you know, people without masks yelling from a distance at somebody who is wearing one, you know, giving them hell about it. <laughs> well, they're not hurting you. Just let them go. You know, it's, right. it doesn't make a difference. I don't care if you wear a mask or not. You know, if, if I don't know you, just stay six feet away from me and we're all good, right? Yeah. If I do know you, I'll walk up and give you a hug. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's it just, people just need to relax. There was a a city council meeting. It was, I think, the one after the mask mandate meeting. And, you know, it came up again in public comments or in, in citizen comments. And so at the end of every meeting, then we, we have a, a section where the, the mayor makes his comments and the council makes his comments. And all I really said was, you know, no matter what you believe, what side you're on, just just please be kind to each other. And that made like the local news circuit for almost a week. <laughs> and it, it just blew me away that just <laughs> saying, hey, be nice to each other was newsworthy for days. I mean, I, I was I was getting messages and, you know, from people that saying, hey, I saw you in the news again today. And it was I said it on Tuesday and this was Saturday. It's like, why is this still why is this still going around? How messed up have things gotten that just some small town councilman says, hey, be nice. But you're right, though. You're right. right. You're absolutely right. Um, and we've already talked about this, but you're 100 percent right. Like we should just no matter what side of the the, the government you're on. Right. Politics or anything. 
we should be kind to each other. Yeah, it's 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 not that hard. It, it to me, it's just <laughs> just you do you, I'll do me, and let's just go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's yeah. just get on with this. What a novel concept. I know it's 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 nutty. <laughs> <laughs> I actually looked looked up something earlier. You you said the word ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. Infinitum. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had to look it up. It goes on forever. But I knew what it meant, <laughs> but I had to look it up to make sure that's what it was. <laughs> At least you had to, to verify. Yeah. To infinity. <laughs> yeah. To infinity right. and beyond. <laughs> right. You're like a Buzz Lightyear exactly. of, of the Latin world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad I said something that somebody had to look up. <laughs> I, feel, I was like, I think I know what that means, but I'm going to look it up. I feel all edumacated now, right? <laughs> So how have your uh, kids adopted to the COVID world? I mean, your three-year-old's almost been born in it. I mean, I mean, I mean really, we could, I say we couldn't have timed it like we had any choice. It couldn't have been timed really any better for our family because neither of our kids were in school yet. Mm. Mm. So nothing really changed. Um, you know, our son is autistic, so uh, we're homeschooling him anyway. He's in kindergarten now. And our, our daughter's three, so you know she's, she doesn't have much of anything going on. So, yeah. so the only difference is... is uh, you know, they don't go to the park as often and, mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. So, and, and we see some of that there, they get cabin fever. Um, especially at first when nothing was open, you, you couldn't even go to a park. It was all roped off and that sort of yeah. stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was weird. That yeah. was a weird time. And then that, as that opened up more, uh, then it was winter. So there's, there's not a whole lot of going out and doing stuff anyway. So, uh, we're very fortunate. I, I remember sitting around in the summer and the kids are playing in the backyard. We have a swing set back there and, you know, all the toys they could possibly imagine, which they get tired of after five minutes for some reason, <laughs> no matter what. But but I remember sitting back there, you know, having a beer. My wife's there watching her kids play and, and thinking, man, how hard would this be if you're a, a single person in an apartment? Because there's literally nothing you can go do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the restaurants were closed. The parks were closed. Everything was closed. And, and at least we had a quarter acre we could screw around on and we had each other. We had, we had our own family. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it, it wasn't hard to see where a lot of the desperation came from for so many people. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it was Nike that did this uh, running study, right? On uh, I think it was eight to twelve times. Like you have to do something eight to twelve times to make it a habit. Right. So leaving people locked up in their own house for a year, I can only imagine the habits that have been created and right? broken. Yeah, well, yeah, but the um, just look at my gut. <laughs> <laughs> don't look at mine. <laughs> don't look at me. But uh, I mean, the people that it's going to be hard to get the transition back to where it was. Right. Right. Where it's not just I go home every day and I watch Netflix or I turn on my you know PlayStation and I game. That's who I am as a, a single person because I really haven't been allowed to date because of quarantine. Right. Yeah, it's going to be hard to break that mold because people are ingrained now in this habit. That's the same thing I, I feel with um, with masks in, in the fact of like these social norms that might have gone away where I'm used to just coughing in my mask. Right. And when, if I'm allowed <laughs> and to... you're not covering your mouth yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm allowed to take my mask off now and I'm just coughing directly at another person, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to address that. My youngest boy does that. Yeah? He's so used to wearing his mask like at school or whatever. He'll come home, take his mask off, and now all of a sudden he's sneezing right in your face. <laughs> no. And it's like, Dude, super spreader, get out of here. Cover your mouth. <laughs> Have you forgotten oh, <laughs> everything yeah. I taught you? Well, it's like even coming here today. You know, it's, I, haven't, I haven't seen Jason for, mm. what, three or four years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, 
and it's the first time I've been to this house. And so I thought, okay, do I wear a mask or not? So I have one in my pocket, but I've listened to this podcast before. It's like, probably not a big deal. <laughs> they but, don't sound muffled. Yeah. <laughs> but just in case, I, I you know, kept, it's, it's going to be kind of one of those things. Do I, do I take my shoes off or yeah. not? You know, it's yep. like, do yep. I handle my jacket or not? Well, it's, Jason, you know, I already have the Rona. Yeah. It's, well, I, yeah, yeah, I have it. COVID Which veterans. is apparently not the same thing as getting the vaccine, I guess. I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't understand how it works. Yeah. I'm one of the few that hasn't had it yet, I guess. But, mm, yeah. but I, I've been working from home since November, which I was still going to the office every day, which is really kind of fascinating because, you know, in Washington, I work in Washington. And everybody that could work from home had to by, you know, whatever the governor's orders were. But to, where I work, they wanted us, you know, management, you know, they preferred to stay. And I had my own office and everything else wasn't a big deal. But it, it was weird showing up to work every day. And I'm sitting in my office and my corner of the building is probably, you know, quarter, third of an acre. And it was like me and one other dude. <laughs> like wow. show, showing up to this empty building every single day. It was, wow. really, it was really A little bizarre. creepy. It, yeah. it was kind of creepy, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then my wife had ankle surgery in, in November and couldn't put weight on her foot for almost three months. So I started working from home then, which was fun because I had to do my day job and try to take care of the house and everyone in it. I'm tired. But uh, so I've been working from home ever since. And and now it's like you talk about creating new habits and breaking old ones. It feels really weird to think about going back to the office again because mm. the commute now is awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get up, brush my teeth and walk downstairs and I'm at work. Yeah. And, uh, and if you got a video call, maybe throw on a nice shirt, right? Well, actually, <laughs> forget about the pants. Who cares? It's, it's amazing the number of times I've been on Zoom calls with the collared shirt on and pajama pants. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure it's not underwear because you accidentally forget to push pause yeah, during right. the break. Yeah. I've seen a lot of videos like that since the COVID yeah. outbreak. Just, just right? don't just don't go tubing and you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'm hey, curious but, on how that's going to work with the the... I mean, so many people work from home right now. Right. You know, I'm curious on how the workforce is going to go back, like that transition back, if that's going to be a big headache. Well, and, and there are there are definitely people, because I manage, what is it, 28, 29 people. And there are, it's about 50-50. There's about half that would prefer to work in the office and half that prefer not. And it's, it's going to be interesting how to manage that when, you know, the vaccines, you know, hopefully they're effective and everything else, everybody can go back to work how that's how it's going to work. I, I think it's going to be kind of a permanent thing where working from home is going to be a benefit. Yeah. It's going to be something that people offer to try to, to, to gain or retain talent. Uh, you know, for me, you know, lately since, you know, it's kind of a, a, a living lesson in economics, all of the, the stimulus that's been going on globally, particularly in the Western world, just printing money and throwing at people. Demand for everything is is through the roof. Cars, RVs, ATVs, TVs, tablets, phones. And there is not enough capacity in the world to produce all the semiconductors and capacitors and all the things that go along with it. So we are just struggling right now to try to find parts to build the products that everybody... Well, one of our product lines is pool cleaners. It's just like the wood. Yeah, right? exactly. Same thing. So, so, you know, half the country froze, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, Georgia completely froze in February. A lot of people have pools there and they all broke. And so th this company we build, build pool cleaners for their demands through the roof and we can't, we can't get and insurance is paying for it. So it's not like anybody's, it's, it's just all, you know, kind of quote unquote free money to them demands through the roof for that, which is a bizarre kind of a niche thing. We can't find parts to build it. So prices are going up. Prices are going up. Lead times are going out and everybody's got money because Governments are printing it, throwing it. People, we're seeing inflation happen in real time. We're seeing monetary policy work, 
And, uh, you know, everybody gets a, if you've got a family of four, the last round was what, 5,000 bucks? Yeah, 5,600, I think. You know what I'm kind of hoping for for the next stimulus is uh, pallets of cash dropped out of oh, the Oh, pallets. Plane. Yeah. Oh, that'd be pretty sweet. Kind of yeah. hope, and you know, I got an inside track. <laughs> hopefully, I, hopefully I know where those coordinates are. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're seeing the real economic results of that right now because the prices of everything are shooting through the roof. Yeah. This is, this is the real world result of economic policy that is in my opinion not sound but it's also a really bizarre like we were talking earlier i can't remember if it was recorded or not <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a bizarre recession <laughs> i never thought i would see a recession that is both inflationary and because of too much demand yeah not recorded but go on yeah so <laughs> the 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 pandemic has really been two very different stories so the cutoff line is about 16 bucks an hour Folks who are making 16 bucks an hour or less are getting crushed. Uh, job, jobs are still 30% down compared to what they were a year ago. Uh, if you're making 16 bucks an hour or more, they're only about 3% down. So everybody with the more professional jobs is doing okay. Everybody else is getting killed. And that's also contributing to the growing polarity of politics, I think, which, which is why some people are so vehement and adamant about open everything up and everybody else is so hyper-focused on the virus. I can guarantee if somebody's hyper-focused on the virus, they're probably making 16 bucks an hour or more. Right. If somebody's hyper-focused on opening everything up, they're probably making 16 bucks or less or own a business that employs a lot of people that are making 16 bucks or less. It's, it's, a, it's two totally different stories, period, two, two different realities. And we haven't done a very good job of that at all. That is very interesting. I haven't thought of it that way. That's and impressive. We, to, I mean, that's a very, yeah, social economic status. You know, during the COVID COVID crisis, the sixteen dollars an hour—that's that's a—and and that's and, and there, there's a stark cutoff right there. It's it's amazing. That is funny. That is it's yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's very interesting to, yeah. to think. I mean, it, it seems like a lot kidding, of places. <laughs> it seems like a lot of places are are hiring. You know, but I'm sure that the the world has changed for right, sure. And, for and, we're, and we're in an interesting microcosm here in Idaho too, because even though we've had you know, statewide regulations on, you know, restaurants and really mm -hmm. since what August, not a thing has been enforced. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, um, places are hiring. They're mm -hmm. hiring like crazy. And just tonight when my wife went through the drive through, right. And right. this is the first time I've ever pulled something out of a bag. It oh, said, the Taco Bell? We're now hiring. Yeah, they put a pink slip in everyone's yeah. in bags. It was yeah. crazy. But you're probably not seeing that in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I think it's, it, in that case, the the state regulations, the local regulations are making a huge... I mean, Idaho is far and away. The, the, Utah is kind of a sort of quasi-close second, and everybody else is way the hell down the list in terms of job growth. Idaho is number one by a long shot. Idaho is the only state in 2020 that actually had a net gain in jobs and had a net increase in, in uh, I guess, gross domestic product for the state. Hmm. Only one out of 50. Wow. And I think a lot of that has to do with we border Washington and Oregon, yeah. which had very different reactions to the virus, and all that came over here. I right. Mean, I mean, just drive around. If you go to the bars at... You know, eleven o'clock at night. Where are all the plates from? Yeah, yeah. Every Washington. single one's from Washington. Every single one. Yeah, mm -hmm. we went uh, camping a couple times last year, and 
it, me and my wife, the first time we went camping, we played this game on, let's see how many Idaho plates are in this campground. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Two. Yeah. Two in the whole campground. Everyone else was from Washington or Oregon areas, and it was amazing to see. Yeah, for Father's Day, we went to Farragut, which was actually kind of our first foray out of the house. What a great park, by the it's, way. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, my grandfather is my last living grandparent, and he's 92 years old, so... You know, I haven't been super paranoid about COVID, but I sure as hell don't want to kill him. Right. <laughs> so we've been pretty careful. So, so Father's Day, we went to Farragut, figuring it's outside and whatever. And, uh, and went down to the bay and the parking lot's packed. The whole place is just packed. And three quarters of the plates were Washington or Oregon. We counted them out, did the math. Like, holy crap. Only 20, I think it was 26% of the plates were Idaho. Wow. And 74%. Yeah. Somebody else. Somebody else. So that's that. It's kind of an an odd, unintended consequence of of different states' reactions to it. Absolutely, Idaho has thrived. Bring because, your government money over here and spend <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, everyone. When you know, we both work in Spokane, and uh, now maybe it's changed since I think they're going to phase three. But uh, before, everyone talked about going to Post Walls, Coeur d'Alene area, and eating. You know, eating right. dinner like a normal person. Um, because everything in Spokane was just shut down. I got to tell you, I feel like it's the most absurd thing in the world to walk into a a restaurant with a mask on (laughs) and then sit down and then you can take it off. Yeah. And then you got to put it back on just to leave. I don't, I do not understand it. Well, Ted Cruz talked about COVID's an elevation virus. If you're four feet or taller, Oh, COVID's dangerous. Right. You shrink below four feet. Well, I, I, I think part of that is... is well, see, is, we were talking before the episode about, you know, we're getting that ripe old age where we're starting to I'm lose starting inches shrink, on our man. height. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I think part of the rationale behind that, though, is it depends on how far the way the tables are. So if you show up to your own family, then, yeah, you, you live with them. So why yeah. would you wear a mask when you're yeah. around your own family? So as long as the tables are 10 feet apart, yeah. then, okay, walk in, take your mask off, whatever. But I've also seen many restaurants where the tables are pretty well packed. Yeah. And they still require you to wear a mask in and take it off the table when you're three feet from the guy behind <laughs> yeah. you. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah. and you know what's interesting is uh, not only Idaho's thriving, but the casino that's out there by Spokane. Oh, yeah. They're not, they're like, ah, we're done. We're not wearing masks. We're yeah. going to fill Northern up every Quest. table. Yeah. You know, you go Sovereign to a restaurant, it's, it's just like it used to be before pre COVID, right? Right. And, and they're packed, they don't even care. Yeah. Right, they're yeah. They're like whatever. We're this is what we're doing. But the the uh, and I and I get both sides, and I think I understand why people think it's some grand conspiracy. I'm I'm not going to go as far as I have seen people say it's a you know we're run by lizard people from wherever. nice. I'm not going to go that far. That is that is true. That is a, a thousand percent true. They okay. live in the hollow. No, earth. I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it does make sense to me that there are there are obviously classes of, of I shouldn't say classes, but categories of people that are far more susceptible to the effects you know obviously yeah. the elderly yeah. the obese uh, hyper hypertensive um, diabetic all those sorts of things so what we've done to me seems to be like the worst of all worlds that you know some places have been wide open and everybody can do, go do anything it's not offering any protection to anybody and then most of the country has been okay lock everything up and we'll pay everybody bunches of money that we printed whether you need it or not which doesn't make any sense to me either it's like it's like i i've I've gotten some of the stimulus checks and I almost feel guilty until I remember how much money I pay in taxes. Then I don't feel so bad about it anymore. But what would have made the most sense is, okay, so let's take the people that have the high risk conditions and, and, you know, people have high risk conditions still have to work. So let's take those people and pay them to be at home. 
mm-hmm. rather than pay everybody you know, yeah. with, with giant stimulus checks. So just let everybody else that can go work and be low risk, go do it, go do, go live your life. And if you can't, then let's protect you. You know, we'll, we'll give you the stimulus money to, you know, to make up for the, for the income you can't make anymore. And let's go from there. I mean, the, the, the hardcore libertarian side of me still has a problem with paying somebody who doesn't work, but that would have been way, 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 way better than what we've done. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why are you paying me, you know, <laughs> stimulus checks? I've got a job. I have a good job. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not in any risk categories for a while. Yeah. That would make way more sense to me. I right? would be cool with that. <laughs> way so, cool. Yeah. So the, the, the reaction to, to the whole thing has been so horribly irrational. And, and I admit, I, I, I was part of that. You know, when, the, when this whole first thing started going down and we get into March and it's like, everybody's going to die. There's going to be, you uh-huh. know, two and a half million deaths in the United States and, and the, you know, the health district, everybody just say, Hey, this is coming. Our, our hospital is going to be freaking we're going to blow out the walls with dead bodies and the whole thing. Right. So we, we had an emergency session and we decided to, uh, cause Washington had just closed down a couple weeks prior and post falls, bars and restaurants were just jammed. They're They're, they're going out of the gills cause everybody from Spokane's coming over. So we met, we decided that we would limit restaurants to carry out and close bars it was for a period of two weeks. And then three days later, you know, governor little issued his statewide order at that time. That was what we knew. And that was, that was a decision that we all made out of, out of ignorance and, and maybe blind trust in, in what everybody was telling us that this is going to be the worst thing since the bubonic bubonic plague. But, uh, you know, talk about the polarization. I, I got called a tyrant, a fascist Hitler. I got called all kinds <laughs> of things for voting for that. And I was, I was like, man, I was just, this was, it was two weeks, man. Let's just pump the brakes and see what happens. Right. <laughs> wow. But, uh, all of a sudden you're big government. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm the man holding everybody down. Yeah. And, was, and, and there were, there were some things about that proposal I didn't like. There wasn't a sunset clause on it. Um, but, uh, but there was, which, which I'm going to circle back around again and, and revisit that resolution and put a sunset clause on it and, and some, some stricter mechanisms on what, what, uh, constitutes an actual emergency has to be on actual numbers, not just predictions. So those are some of the things I'm going to come around and haven't forgotten about. I'm still going to, going to try to get through, but at the time it really looked like this is something we had to do to really prevent people from dying. Yeah. Based on prediction, based on, based on what, what the CDC and, and the health district and everything else was telling us, the WHO, everything else. And I've never been through a pandemic before, so it's, uh, why would I not trust them? Right. (laughs) Right. So, but the, but the, the backlash from that was intense and it's like, I didn't sign up for this. I, yeah. I signed up for, for a treatment plant and annexations. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so let's shift gears. Okay. Um, what would you do if in say 12 years, your son says, dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up, right? He's 18. He's getting ready to graduate high school or maybe he's just graduated and he goes, I want to be the president of the United States. What would you say to him? <laughs> I'd, I'd give him the rundown. Yeah. I said, if you want to do that, then great. One, here's what's going to take. You're probably going to have to sell your soul. <laughs> and I'm not even really exaggerating about that. You're going to have to pick a persona that is not you. Mm. You're going to have to pick a persona that, that resonates with a certain segment of the population. And they're going to be completely cold and unforgiving about you as a person. Uh, you're an extension of, of their perceptions. 
you're going to have to make friends with people that you probably wouldn't otherwise make friends with. And, uh, if you, if you try to break out and be an individual, you're never going to get there. Mm. Um, and that's okay, <laughs> but that's, that's what's going to take to get there. I, I think a lot of kids dream about being president. You know, I, I, I'm sure I did. I know I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the older, and, and probably in the eighties, it was a, a bit different. Although in, with, with more wisdom and retrospect, it was probably still a lot of the same dog and pony show as it is now. It's just more, it's just more vicious now. So be, be ready to be attacked at all sides at all time. You can't please all the people all the time. Matter of fact, you, you probably, you probably can't please most of the people at all <laughs> anymore. So, and uh, if they're I, slinging mud at you, that just gives you more ground to sling back. Right. Right. And that, that, that's the way <laughs> politics works now. So if he said he wanted to be president, I would, I would say, you know, that's, that's great. Here's, here's what's coming with it. And if that's what you want, then I'll do everything I can to support you in that. Mm. But it's it's coming, man. <laughs> Do you think the same thing applies to like state government? I mean, to a, to a much lesser degree. It depends on the state. I mean, yeah, you know, Idaho's not that big, and Idaho is pretty homogenous in terms of politics. Although even Idaho is pretty di- divided now. It's between the the conservatives and the conservators. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it, it's it's different. I mean, the Idaho I grew up in is probably why I'm so libertarian. It, it really was very laid back. Yeah, you, know, you do you, I do me, and we all go along our business. And and the, you know, a lot of the people that have moved in from out of state are are a more aggressive version of conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they it seems to me they they left where they came from because they're angry about the things about, about the way things were where they came from. So they come here, and unfortunately, they brought a lot of their anger with them. Yeah, and it, it's just not the same. It's it's not a smile and a wave and and you do you and it's now it's you you tow this line or you're a traitor you know what's great though i'm glad you said that is i'm the guy when i'm driving i wave at everybody me too (laughs) i do i just i was brought up that way my grandpa did that you know and um it it, and then i moved to spokane after the military and nobody does it and i'm the people look at me like what the heck is that guy (laughs) what the hell's that guy want (laughs) is it do i have you waving something on my (laughs) something wrong yeah yeah but and then I, I come over here, and, and it was the first time I ever had a uniformed law enforcement officer wave back at me. Really? Right? You know, I'm driving, and that I wave. happens every day in Post Falls. And I wave. <laughs> yeah, and it, the dude waved back, and I'm like, oh, that's great. He saw me. It was the first time in my life I've had a uniformed police officer wave back at me while I was driving. Wow. Get all excited, yeah, like a great. trucker honked his I horn at you. I did, too. I, yes. Like a little kid. Right? My entire life I've grown up waving at police officers, and they always wave back. Yeah. Awesome. Every time. Yeah. Well, I've lived in Idaho my entire life. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's it, and just you know, uh, twenty thirty minutes away, right? Is totally different. Wow, totally, di- it's weird. So anyway, uh, Joe, we're running out of time. Do you have any parting words of wisdom? Words of wisdom. Uh, well, put me on the spot. But the best piece of advice <laughs> I ever got. How's that? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was working, and where it came from, I was working at Open Ear, and I was in production, so I was. Uh, I was on a machine called the Mongoose. So that's my fan the machine, but we would clip pieces of an ear to very specific widths and lengths so they could wrap it on different moldings, millworks, that kind of stuff. 
And the guy I was working with this day, this particular day, uh, was very, very meticulous about how he stacked the stuff. He would put other pieces of veneer between, so the rows were all perfect, straight up and down. Everything was lined up exactly like it should be. He put the lid on it. It's, it's like it just came out of the most programmed robotic factory, but it's all done by hand. And uh, you, know, you, you could do it in a much lazier fashion. It'd be just fine, right? It doesn't affect anything. And so I was like, you know, why do you, why do you spend so much effort doing this? And he says, well, I just... I just, everything I do, I want to make it look like I cared. And then I, I thought about that years later. And it's really in everything you do in your life, if you make it look like you cared, it's going to come out way better. Mm. How, how you talk to your children, make it look like you cared. Don't just spout off the first thing in your mind. You know, how, how you deal with your coworkers, how you, how you keep your car, you know, <laughs> how you keep your house. Just if you make it look like you cared, I think it makes all the difference in the world. That was the best piece of advice I ever think I got. And it was, just from a guy I worked with three times at a, at a mill. Hmm. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's what it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Make it look like you cared. That's great. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for being a guest on the show. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. It's oh, been yeah. a blast. Absolutely. E- even the half hour you lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we won't talk about that. We won't forget about that is what we won't do. I will call every week and remind you. In fact, nobody's going to be talking about that. <laughs> uh, All right. We're out of here. All right, All see right. you guys. See you. Be sure to tell your friends about the show. 